Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have helped them become more real to us because we believe that helps us draw more power out of them, and we need all the power that we can get. I'm your host, Carrie Mielstein, and I'm so happy to have with me a returning guest that you heard before when we talked about grace uh, and uh, charis, the Greek word uh, that we were discussing and so on. Uh, I have with me Brent Schmidt, who teaches at BYU-Idaho, uh, and you heard before our introduction of all the Greek that he studied and uh, Claremont and so on and so on. But uh, we're just excited to have you back with us, Brent. Thank you for coming back. Thank you, Kerry. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Ah, thank you. Uh, so tell us, is there anything else we should know about you? I, I think last time we talked about uh, the New Testament commentary you're involved in, did we not? Or Yes, yes. I actually got to go to a meeting earlier today. It was just a Zoom meeting. I live in Idaho, so I don't get to go down to Provo as much as I'd like to. And we were discussing Second Corinthians volume that is supposed to be coming out on November 2nd in print. And some of the volumes have already come out. This is the first Corinthians volume that's also written by Draper and Rhodes, and they are also going to be publishing the Second Corinthians volume. So I got to edit both of these the volumes, Second uh, Corinthians, about a year ago, I started receiving all the chapters, and there's lots of things I think that can help us to be better disciples in Corinthians. I I, uh, I always try to to share with my students when I I teach these epistles to Corinthians that Corinth was a very worldly, we might say from a Latter Day Saint perspective, wicked city in the ancient world. Uh, this I've is heard it described of, like a sailor's port kind of a city. Yeah, it's a sailor's port. It's where all the sailors come through. They they have a, a little canal there that makes shipping easier around Greece. And so if the Corinthians can can listen to Paul and become good disciples, then we can too. I think it gives us some hope that we can be good disciples and live in a wicked world and keep all the commandments. Well, we can kind of see sometimes people do struggle with some of the commandments, especially in First Corinthians chapter five, we see some of the problems they're having. Yeah, yeah, and and Paul's very clear about uh, some of those problems and his feelings about it. And he's going to write a second epistle to the Corinthians, and he is very interested in this idea of of fellowshipping. Sometimes this even happens monetarily. And in the ancient world, as we've discussed in our last podcast, there's this notion of, of hesed in the, the Hebrew tradition and charis in the, the Greek, where you have reciprocal gifts that mm-hmm. are able to bless and, and help people. As, as you receive a gift, you feel obligated to, to reciprocate. And so these are invitations in a lot of ways to keep the commandments. And it says in chapter 8, verse... Nine, it says, for ye know the grace or the charis of our, our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And so there's this idea that, that Jesus gave us this ultimate gift. He was rich in the sense that he was the son of God. And for his, for, for, um, for his father and for our sakes, he, he's willing to become or in the sense that he's willing to pay to redeem us. I think that's probably the idea that in the ancient world, the Latin word um, to redeem literally means to buy back. Yeah. And so, so he becomes poor in that, in the sense that he paid for all of our sins in Gethsemane and then on the cross as he died for us. And, yeah. and that can help us. It, it doesn't say we will be rich. It says we might be rich in verse nine. So there's this idea that, we have to be obedient, be a good disciple, we'll receive more gifts and enter in this, this Karis covenant relationship that that through the Holy Ghost and through other gifts we'll we'll become like Jesus and be forgiven of our sins. Yeah, I think verse nine is a very, very powerful gift. And it's a theme that that Paul speaks on frequently or writes about frequently. And if he's the author of Hebrews, then even more frequently, certainly the author of Hebrews touches on this. And it's in the Doctrine and Covenants and Book of Mormon as well. But uh, this idea that though Christ was Jehovah, though he was uh, grand and mighty and uh, deified in everything. He 
not only came to our level, but he descended below our level, right? He he gave up everything. He condescended would be the uh, the Book of Mormon phrase, right? Yes, he, he condescended. condescended yeah, yeah, and uh, and that's exactly right. He condescended uh, and and went below all things, and because of that, we can rise above all things. We can rise to his level, and that's that that we might be rich, right? He's he's made it possible for us to become what he was by descending to our level and then going even lower. And I, I find that principle just uh, echoed and mirrored in so many things. You know, the, the the greater his suffering, the greater our possible joy, the greater his aloneness, the greater our possible communion, and so on and so on, right? It's, it's just a powerful idea, and it's captured so well in that verse. Yeah. And because Jesus condescended below all things, he can also relate to us. He can understand us. Yeah. And Absolutely. what I really love in the Book of Mormon is it stresses this idea of sometimes in New Testament scholarship, it's called high Christology and low Christology. In this verse, we have what we might call low Christology. The fact that yeah. Jesus is like us, he understands us. And then yeah. we have a lot of high Christology, especially in the Book of Mormon. And in anyway. The Book of Mormon brings both the high and low Christologies, I think, into play so we can learn a lot more about Jesus. But we see little echoes of low and high Christology throughout these epistles. Yeah, including maybe this verse has some of those. So just to kind of yeah. uh, explain to our, our writer, um, or I mean our, our audience, uh, different writers like John is thought of as a, a gospel that presents a lot of high Christology, meaning... He presents uh, Christ with the, a lot of episodes of his grandeur and his majesty, his relationship with God, and so on and so on. Um, he'll have some low Christology, meaning his mortality, his his condescension, the elements of his condescension as well. But he has a lot of high Christology where Luke really emphasizes kind of the mortality of Christ. And so we call that low Christology. And in this verse, I would say uh, the fact that though he was rich, that's just a quick, a very, very quick allusion to high Christology, right? Then yes. the rest of it is about low Christology. And that's exactly where we are, that the reason our exaltation is possible because the great Jehovah became the suffering servant. And that enables us to overcome all things. And I know in New Testament scholarship, there's a lot of debate about whether the original message of Jesus was just low Christology and it later became high Christology. But I find right. throughout Paul's epistles, there's a, a good, a very good and healthy mix of low and high Christology yeah. showing that, that Jesus is the Christ. But I always feel a lot more comfortable having the Book of Mormon because it, it stresses the highest of the high Christology and the lowest of the low altogether. And it helps us to understand the Savior a lot better. A lot of people in the first four centuries struggled with who Jesus was and, and Christology in general. And sometimes some of this bleeds through a little bit in how people translate the Bible or understand it through the centuries. That, yeah. that Jesus is, um, other than John, a lot of people try to stress the low Christology and just, uh, especially your more liberal, secular New Testament scholars, they would just say, oh, Jesus just started out as a good guy and then became a god or something. But yeah. This verse and many of these other verses in Paul's writings have, I think, plenty of low and, and high Christology there. I, I would absolutely agree. Absolutely. Well, all right. So so anyway, where where would you like there. to go from here? Okay. Well, chapter 9 just is a, is a gem. There's just lots of aspects of ministering to the saints. So if we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, yeah. For as touching the ministering to the saints... He says, it is superfluous for me to write to you because it says that I know the forwardness of your mind and I would boast to them of Macedonia and Achaia. Achaia was, is one of the, it's the Roman name of Greece in this period, uh, was ready uh, a year ago and your zeal hath provoked very many. So one of the things about Paul is he is going to minister, which is I think one way that we demonstrate gifts to our Heavenly Father. So like King Benjamin said, we can't pay back these special gifts or this grace, but we do give gifts in a sense of giving uh, and blessing and serving other people and serving God. And, and that's one way we we demonstrate our, our thankfulness for Christ's gift. And we see that the 
Corinthians themselves are also demonstrating charis or grace as they become excellent disciples. And we see that in this beginning of this chapter. Now, maybe I can interrupt for a minute and just ask yeah. you a question. Um, I think that often with Paul's uh, epistles, it's uh, somewhat helpful to look at different translations. Uh, and maybe this epistle more than most. Uh, I think this one, some of the wording is is more confusing than some of the others. One of the phrases that Paul uses a lot that I think uh, in, in this particular uh, set of chapters that I think can be confusing for our writers, or at least that I should say one of the the phrases the King James translators chose that can be confusing for our writers is the the idea of being forward, your forwardness, right? Which to us yeah. is like, okay, you were uh, more flirtatious than you should have been, or you were, you yes. were a little more familiar with me than you should have been. Yes. Um, and it seems to me that Paul is often using this to mean like either diligent or eager or yes. uh, forthcoming, something along those lines. So could you uh, help us with that word just a little bit? Yeah, let me see. I'm, I'm going to pull out. This is my UBS four, so that stands for United Bible Societies four. There is a five. I think there's not too much difference between the four and the five. This is the one I usually use for work on this commentary project. Right. And a lot of times too, another problem is that the English of the King James writers is quite different than our modern, our very modern English. They're they're writing in early modern English, and I'm. I'm not an expert in early modern English. Maybe forwardness does have some of those nuances of, you know, maybe desirous or. So th those are some some pitfalls. But right. I love to use um, the it's called the uh, the Oxford the Greek Oxford lexicon. It's, sometimes it's abbreviated as the LSJ, and right. that has all of Greek literature and and how the words are used, uh, and so. The, the Greek word here for forwardness is prothumion, which in the accusative form, uh, literally it's I know of your, uh, thumia is like your energy, but the pro with that prefix makes it a little bit stronger. Right. So we might even say like zeal. Yeah. Right. Well, so, and so for example, a tool I like to use, I think it's a handy, easy one to use, is called netbible.org. And I go there and I can choose Second Corinthians 9 and I pull up the KJV of it. And I, um, I then you can click on the Greek on the right-hand column and it will let you show different uh, words. Uh, it it's, works, honestly, a little bit easier in Hebrew than in Greek because sometimes in the Greek stuff, you just can't get it to highlight the word you want. But anyway, oh. I, I, I've highlighted forwardness and, or pro, well, I didn't want to highlight uh, forwardness, so I went to the other side because I knew it was Prometheon. Pro um or prothe sorry, prothemion, and uh -huh. um, uh, and this is the definition they pull up: zeal or eagerness or inclination or readiness of mind or spirit. Right. So I, I think that's a all of those together give you probably the sense of this word. It's not really any one of them. It's just kind of where your spirit or your mind is is excitedly going, uh, is maybe a good way to say. It. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, and sometimes I don't think it's bad to even plug two or three as you're reading. Yeah. At, at BYU-Idaho, we teach scripture study skills, and one of them is called substitution, where if you're reading through and a word looks funny to you, sometimes you can look in the bottom of the footnotes, there might be something that says Heb or GR yeah. in, in the Bible, but a lot of times it doesn't. And and you can look up, you can look up the word forwardness maybe in a, a really old english dictionary and see maybe what it meant in the 17 or 1600s but th what's even better is to look at the original hebrew or greek so if you're studying the new testament you want to look at the the greek and you know it will it, it will help you to, i think just to define some of those words uh plug them in i know in the matthew volume that i've been working with uh with uh, john or jack welch Sometimes we actually put in two two meanings of words instead of just yeah. one, just to kind of hit the the full range, semantic range, uh, or some semantic range. I meant of uh, yeah. the nuances of a word. So, I think that's a great idea. So, I just thought it'd be helpful for this one because it's used a number of times in in uh, this particular reading. And so, if we were to re reread this one, we'd say something like, "I, I know the the eagerness uh, and zeal of your mind, for which I boast of you." 
and I've boasted of you to them in Macedonia and Achaia and so on, right? So yeah. uh, that's an easier way to understand it, I think. Yeah. And then, you know, this word like boast, um, so the Greek is kakomai, which means it can, it can mean boast. It, it might just mean like something like I talk well of you almost too, right? And so a lot of these words are are able to be translated in a lot of ways. But yeah, substitution is a really powerful way to study scripture. I think it can help us when we're in the dark about what something can mean sometimes. It is a little bit of work, though, to figure out what everything means in the Bible. But I think the Holy Ghost will help us, too, to make connections for our life as we're willing to put in the time and effort to figure out what's going on, what what does servants like Paulo mean. Yeah. So some tools that are useful, like Blue Letter Bible or netbible.org and uh, different things like that might be helpful along those lines. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, let's let's keep going. I, that was a little okay. bit of a, a sidetrack, but I thought it was uh, might be yeah. helpful. So, but this is a section where he's going to talk about the the charity. You know, we had yes. charity in First Corinthians. Now he's kind of talking about the charity of the saints in Corinth and elsewhere. Right. Yes. Uh, just one more thing. Uh, I find that almost all the resources are really helpful, though. I, I have found that if if a word is really really important doctrinally, sometimes they'll they'll uh, interpret the word to mean what maybe the word or how the word word has been translated by Luther or Augustine, something like grace yeah. or faith. Sometimes you have to be a little careful, but yeah. almost almost all the time for just basic words, those dictionaries, those resources are good. Um, so yeah. in in chapter nine verse six. He says, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So this is called the law of the harvest. So right. um, we, we learn this principle of, of agency. I think this goes along with this, this principle also of reciprocity, that Jesus has given us so much so that we should not be, not, we shouldn't be sowing uh, sparingly, but sowing um, abundantly and bountifully. And, and that way we can reap rewards. Uh, we maybe say other gifts from God bountifully. So we have that, that principle. And then it says in verse 7, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. In, in the King James, we have these words in italics. Italics just means they have to supply something yeah. to kind of round out things in English. I, I think, though, maybe with a translation, I think most scholars don't do this today, but I kind of like that they show that it's not really in the Greek, if it's in italics. I, I love that. I yeah. love that practice. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. They, at least they're they're kind of showing you their notes, aren't they? Yeah. It and says, then, uh, it's almost alerting you, hey, we've made an assumption here. You should look into this and see if you have a different assumption. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? Yeah. And then it says, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So, our Heavenly Father just doesn't want us to, to give to others and give to Him, but also our attitude is important. And the Lord teaches this principle in, in section 137, where we're judged not just by our actions, but by the intent of our heart. And so Very as good. we're as we're giving hesed or charis or, or to God and to others, we, we want to do it in a certain way. And if we do it grudgingly or just uh, just because we feel obligated because of this relationship, it's not going to be as productive as if we are are happy and cheerful about it. Yeah, we have this idea of in um, in verse seven, this idea that um, agapa agapa just means something like to do what's in other people's uh, best interest. Sometimes for love, so right. So God will, I think, give us gifts according to what he thinks is best for us. Sometimes we might want to be rich or famous, but maybe those gifts wouldn't be beneficial for us spiritually. It might get us into that fight cycle or something, right? Yeah, they're usually not. Um, yeah, and this is such an important principle, again, this idea. I mean, another way you could say this is that he that loses himself, if we're going to read verse 6 and 7 together in this uh, Law of the Harvest, he that loses himself shall find it, he that finds himself shall lose himself, right? This idea that, if you're thinking of yourself, then you're probably not going to uh, give bountifully, and so you're not going to reap bountifully. But when you forget about yourself, and this is one of the great keys in everything, it, just forget about yourself. And uh, just not, don't worry about what people think about you. Don't worry about what's in it for you or what you're going to get out of it or how this works out for you. Just, uh, I mean, you have to obviously think, okay, well, do I have time to do all these things? And if not, what's my priorities and so on? But um 
But when you forget about yourself and you're doing things, as you said, out of interest of others, because you love others, that's when we really get to be happy. And, and this is something that uh, my students often struggle uh, with believing me initially when I tell them your greatest happiness comes from when you are filled with love for God and love for others. It's not when you feel how much they love you. And they think, no, 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 you need to feel that other people love you to be happy. Well, we do need to know that we're loved, but that actually wow. kind of happens automatically when we love others. But I, I ask them, you know, mm -hmm. when when are you on cloud nine? Is it when you've fallen in love with someone or when someone has fallen in love with you? Because that's sometimes someone's fallen in love with you and that's not actually all that exciting. But even if, uh, you know, it can get to be painful if you're in love with someone and they're, they're not interested in you, but at least uh, initially... Man, that's when you're happy. We are happiest when we are focused on our love for others. That's when we're just so happy. And and if we will pursue that uh, love of God and love of others, that should sound kind of covenantish and great commandmentish and stuff, right? But if we'll pursue that, that's when we're just going to have joy. That's a good point. And those those ten commandments are good places to start. the The first, I think, what four of them are about loving God and yeah. Last six are about loving others. So maybe if we're we're struggling to love, love others and and love God, maybe we can start with the Ten Commandments and work up to Jesus's where we we truly love others and love love God and not worry so much about rules about it. That's good. Very good. Yes. And then finally, uh, verse eight. So here in that same chapter, and God is able to make all grace or all. Charis. I assume that's charis, right? Yeah, all charis. Yep. It's, it's definitely charis, and it, in the Greek it says um, maybe one one little thing about the Greek here I find really interesting. Yeah. Um, the The original Greek actually has ho theos, so it has what's called a definite article in front mm -hmm. of God. And in First uh, Corinthians chapter eight, Paul talks a lot about how the God or ho theos without article. So without an article. It would just be a God, but in Greek, they actually have these articles and in, in uh first Corinthians chapter eight, I think it's verse 15. Paul says that the God is God, the father. And mm. so one of the things I've, I've noticed about one of my problems with the King James, and this is how I've translated Romans and I'm working on Galatians to translate to is the King James translators. They took out the God. And I think if you put the the God back in there, it it makes it very specific that he's talking about God the Father. Oh, very good. And and so a lot of times I think the Trinitarians for throughout the centuries and up into the King James time, they want to make God look very abstract. So they just say God, God, God throughout the entire New Testament, where actually it says the God, and I translate it as God the Father. And I think you bring the Father back because I think a lot of a lot of our Protestant friends just think the the gospel is just t uh, just Jesus, but but really, Team Jesus is Heavenly Father, and and so I think what Paul is saying here in verse eight, and God the Father is able to make, and then the Greek says here, "pasan karin," which uh, is in the accusative form, but it means something like every every reciprocal or or uh, obligatory uh, gift to abound to you. So, right. so really we want to have a relationship with the father through the son, right? Right. And, and That's so we, exactly see that, right. we see that throughout all these epistles, but they never in the King Tra uh, James uh, translation, they actually translate the article. And so that's one of the things I point out to, to some of these uh, other members of this commentary committee is we have to do something with the article. Another way to do it is just, we could say like our God in Greek. Sometimes you can translate also the definite articles is with a, like a possessive pronoun, like our God or, or right. my God. But right. yeah, just leaving it just as God, it makes it very Trinitarian. I think that, hmm. that God is just, uh, you know, three and one, one and three everywhere, but nowhere. Right, so there's a theological influence on the translation choice yeah. there. So uh, as I'm looking at this text then uh, and uh, uh, paying attention to this, which I haven't really before. So you've got the that separate right before Theos in verse yeah. eight, and it's in a number of other places uh, yeah. in this reading. You've got that kind of breathy, because they don't really do H's, but that kind of breathy O, right? So uh, not yeah. quite ho, but ho, 
uh, yes. theos. So it's a separate word right in front yep. of it, but it is definitely the definite article or, or yeah. the. It, as and it they was. call it aspirated. I think there's some debate about how it was said and everything. But yeah. yeah. It's a little yeah. bit of a kind of an H sound kind of. Yeah. The, the breathy, uh, yeah. like soft H as opposed to like hard H is kind of a, yes. a thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Aspirate's a good, good phrase. I like that phrase. But anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So. That's the idea is that we're able, our Heavenly Father is actually able to give us all these, this uh, charis or this, all these graces abound toward us. And then we learn also that Jesus reciprocated with his Heavenly Father. And this is in section 93 of the Doctrine and Covenants, that he became mm -hmm. like the Father, grace for grace. So Paul is just teaching this principle that the Father is able to make this special charis abound to us as well. In the end of the Book of Mormon, we learn that that his grace is sufficient for us too. Yeah, and, very good. And, so, and, and I, I think in a lot of ways, Jesus is the ultimate charis, isn't he? His yes. example, his, his atonement, his, his love, his patience, condescension below all things. And then ultimately he, Jesus brings the Holy ghost to, to us, doesn't he? Yes, absolutely. And if you think about it, I mean, Christ is what God gave us. And then Christ gives us back to God, as it were, right? So yeah. he is this. He's the the epitome of charis or chesed, and and so on. So, with all all these different understandings that we've expressed, uh, how would you? I mean, maybe kind of half translate, half explain verse eight to us. Just give us a, a great okay. explanation of verse. So, eight. so verse eight would be something like, "And God the Father can make reciprocal gifts." Yeah, or, or chesed or something like chesed, that. Chesed, yeah, yeah. God the Father is able to make kindness and gifts and favors so abundant in our life so that we will always have enough in everything we're doing that we can do every single good thing. So again, the Corinthians are pretty wicked people. But anyway, that's my paraphrase, I guess. Yeah, and so to, to some degree, if we're going to put six through eight all together, I think it's telling us, and this is that kind of God shows us chesed or charas, and we should show it to others, uh, that I think he's saying, if you will forget about yourself and love and take care of others, then God has more than enough for all of you, and he will make sure that you have everything you need to keep taking care of and doing everything that you're trying to do for others. And that will, in the end, also take care of you. That's how I would sum up six through eight. I don't oh, know what are your beautiful. thoughts on that. I like that. I really like that. Yeah, he will. He will take care of us. He will. And sometimes we call this, you know, this grace enabling because I think it really yeah. does empower and enable us. Yeah. Or magnify us is another way. Magnify us too. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Hopefully we're loyal to him. And it right. says here he teaches the, the same thing here uh, again, kind of in a little different way in verse 10. And now he that minister a seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So anyway, the in a lot of ways, the gifts we get from God can be seeds to us that, that, that can help us. We have to use agency. We have to turn seeds into bread, though, don't we? I mean, that's mm -hmm. a process. So a lot of churches believe that, that grace or faith are these mystical things, but we see that it's actually a process that we have to we have to turn turn things into food, don't we, ultimately? And then we want to increase the fruits. But but then at the end of that verse, he says we want to have the fruits of righteousness. So it, I think these verses also undermine the traditional doctrine of original sin that a lot of churches believe because of Adam's alleged sin that we can't make any good choices or we can't be good. Or But through, through Jesus and, and our Father's gifts, we can, and, and by correctly choosing to use our agency, we're able to produce fruits of righteousness. And in St. Augustine's time, there was a, a movement, and a group of scholars that centered around one scholar named Pelagius, who argued that whatever we can do, we should do. We actually have moral agency. Mm. Whereas later in Christian history, you have Augustine who says, well, if we baptize you as an infant, maybe we can get rid of some of that original sin. And maybe sometimes you might be able to make a good choice if if you have some mystical faith or grace or something. But we see that Paul is trying to encourage these Corinthians who live in a really wicked place to utilize their agency 
And it says here in verse 11, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. Again, we want to be very thankful, grateful, find ways to demonstrate that. And then it says, verse 12, for the administration of this service not only supplieth the one of the saints, but is abundant also to many thanksgiving to God. So not only does it bless us, but it blesses all the saints, all the, the saints around us. Also, just a little note, Paul talks about normal members of the church as being saints. And right. in later Christian history, only a few people who have some special grace can, can be a good person. But we see that we can all be good, but we just need to be thanks, you know, give thanks back to God through through service, through action. We see that throughout Paul's ministry. And and saints, both then and now, it really means sanctified ones, right? As yeah. as Latter-day Saints, holy. we yeah. are people who are being made holy or, or yeah. sanctified, or I think we could say more godly or more Christ-like yes. in uh, in the latter days. That's that's what it means. There, there were saints in the earlier days. That's in Paul's days, who the saints he's writing to. Uh, they were becoming more godly, and we're becoming more godly. And this idea of this this charity or this this giving or supplying the wants of the saints and and uh, being enriched in bountifulness and so on. Uh, Paul is frequently, I mean, he seems almost constantly going around collecting uh, things from those who have or at least can give and then trying to get it to those who can't. And in particular, he's going to try and help some of the, the impoverished saints in Jerusalem. But uh, he's he also talks about uh, saints having a tough time in, in uh, Greece and so on. So uh, this is a big thing for Paul, trying to get people to recognize that as they give of themselves, whether that be resources, time, whatever it is, as they give of themselves, they're not only blessing others, they're blessed and they draw closer to God. And I think that's really the main gist of this chapter. Yeah, it is. And that, and as we, like you said, as we love God, then we'll will love others and we do that as we serve others right we, we're trying to find what's best for them and and then he talks about this liberal dis distribution verse 13 so it says whiles by the experiment of this ministration they glorify god i think it does if i look here i think the greek says the god again it usually mm -hmm. says the god yeah it says the god tone theon so that's those are the accusative forms right, right? but right. but we would say they glorify god the father and I, I think we know it is God the Father because Paul actually does say in 1 Corinthians 8 that the God is God the Father. I think it's, yeah, right in the middle of that chapter. So that's how I would translate it. Um, for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ. So so subjection, I think we could probably translate also as obedience. I think the Greek is subjection um, maybe fit, you know, English in the 1600s, but I think it's more like the obedience and that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all. And they put men in italics, but the idea, yeah. like you were talking about, Carrie, it's for the saints who are poor in Jerusalem, but, but also in Achaia and some of these other places spiritually, I think Paul's more worried, probably the spiritual part. Yeah. Well, it's, it's true of both, right? But yeah. he's, he's definitely collecting actual uh, offerings, uh, physical offerings, but he's certainly, uh, it keeps teaching them that they need to be unified and build each other up. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's both. That's how it and works. Isn't we it? should also, take it that way too. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, that's right. And then it says, and by their prayer for you. So apparently these other saints who are needy are, are praying and maybe they're exercising their agency to receive gifts of blessings for, for Paul and for these Corinthians who are being generous, which long after you for the exceedingly exceeding grace of God in you. Uh, so a lot of people might translate this to be, oh, they have some kind of special uh, mystical gift of God. I think that's how they translate it. But the Greek is more like the, the carrying to theu, ephine. So the, the, the charis of God the Father. So basically the idea is that I think is giving all all credit to God, the Father. We read it in the Doctrine and Covenants that, that the Father is not happy when we don't give him acknowledgement for everything. So I think when they took out the the, the in there, that article, but um, we could translate the aspirated F, hanging uh, uh, at the very end, is something like, because of you. Mm. So because of these guys 
reciprocating with the Father, then these other poor saints or needy saints are going to be blessed. Right. Yeah. And and that's exactly how it works, right? Yeah. And maybe we'll go on to to verse ten or chapter ten. So, and it says, "I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence, and we have am in italics here." And, and a lot of times I should just mention in Greek, whenever you don't have a verb, you and this is true for Hebrew and Latin, you can supply the verb to be. Right. And and so it kind of makes sense here. Who in presence base among you, right? But being absent and bold toward you. So in this chapter, Paul just says that that he's not all that as far as his his person. Um, in verse 10 a little later, he says, you guys may think, you know, his letters or my letters are weighty and powerful, but his body presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Yeah. And so, so Paul is willing to say, you know, I'm all, I'm not really all that just as a person, but I am representing Heavenly Father. And, and just, just kind of um, be patient with me. Be, please be gentle like you would in Christ because I'm just a, I'm a guy. But he does talk about how he has authority. In yeah. this particular epistle, and so I love I love the prophets and apostles because they speak for God. They're not perfect. I think we see that sometimes. I think it's spiritually dangerous to think prophets or apostles are perfect. No, it's a bad idea. I don't think they would yeah. feel comfortable with it. Yeah, I don't think the prophets or apostles would either, would they? And Paul doesn't. Yeah. We see that in this chapter. Now, I think in in verse one, and and as you say, he hints at it a couple of other times, like verse ten and, and elsewhere. It's it's both what you're saying, but I think, and and you tell me if I'm I'm seeing this incorrectly, but it seems that he's also saying, you know, uh, when I'm with you, uh, I come across differently than when I'm writing to you. I'm writing to you in a very bold fashion, and uh, when I'm with you, I, it's different. And I I know lots of people who are this way that. Uh, if you approach them in person, uh, there's just something about being with a person that you treat them differently. When mm -hmm. you're writing uh, and you don't see the person, you kind of think of them differently. And and uh, I know people who I know, if I'm going to ask them for something, I need to do it in person because it's like an automatic no if you ask them in writing. Uh, mm -hmm. And and we get this online as well. And President Nelson has even talked about it a little bit when he's talked about uh, spoken about contention, that when we're writing, it's easy to start to be, I mean, I think Paul was just bold, but it's easy for us to start to be just nasty because uh -huh. uh, the, the people don't seem like people. So there's something about when we are with each other, mm -hmm. uh, we sense each other and we, we become a little more gentle. We and do, huh? uh, and I think, principle. yeah, I think this is worth thinking about that. If there's something sensitive, if you can't do it in person, uh, then you then do if not phone calls better than in per or the, you know not as good as in person right. but next but uh, if you're going to write be careful uh, yeah. be very very careful and then it's also true that it's easy to mistake tone when you when you're writing and or when you're reading what someone has written and so we should probably also give the benefit of the doubt when we're reading things from people and assume better of them because uh, it's really easy to misread tones and those kind of cues we get from seeing a person. Uh, and so we should probably just take a little less offense than we often do when we're reading things. That's a good, those are all good points. I, I know the best form of communication is in person if we can. We know that the Savior likes to minister one by one in person. That, yeah. He does that usually through his servants or missionaries or as we minister. Yeah. And those are good points. Yeah, I, I've I've been burned a few times by by writing or sending emails or things just oh me too it's hard to just get the tone and you know yeah no i've Everything i've offended people to. when i had no intent to do so and it's just something about how i wrote that wasn't taken the right way or i was whatever yeah it's 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 tricky yeah it's tricky huh yeah i've learned i'm a bad email writer but anyway <laughs> we're all working on that um, yeah uh so the it's next not as clear as well so but anyway sorry go ahead oh yeah in the next chapter, he he talks a lot about some of these principles related to the the fall. So, oh, so we're moving to chapter about, eleven. Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, chapter eleven is what I meant. Yeah, the yeah. very beginning. So, would to God, uh, ye could bear with me a little in my folly. So again, he's saying I'm not I'm not perfect, but please be patient with me. Uh, he says I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, and so the the Greek kind of just says that I am. 
I can't remember. I'll have to look this one up here. But the idea is that Paul just, I think, is really concerned about people, kind of like this idea of the the wife and the and the groom in the Old Testament, that the right. the church or the the members of the church should be chaste in Christ, right? And yeah, I, I think that's exactly what he's talking about. The uh, and that idea that he is he's he's almost been the matchmaker, right? Paul yes. has been trying to get us to be wed to God. In other words, to be good covenant faith, you know, be in a covenant relationship with God where we're faithful. And so he compares that to this marriage idea and uh, and that we'll be truly faithful to God. So I love how he says, I've espoused you to one husband. In other words, I set you up and got you married to God or I yes. you know, had you enter into this covenant relationship with God. That was my goal. That's all I was ever trying to do. Just get you there with God where you're faithful in the covenant. And that's where we want to be. If we're faithful in the covenant, then we'll be blessed, won't we? We'll receive all the the things that we need from God. We are we do live in a fallen world, and he talks about that in verse three now. Mm-hmm. So he says, "But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his." And that that word is deceived there, right? It's uh, I mean, there's a word yes. that can be beguiled, but this is really is deceived. So this is the one place we hear that Eve was deceived as opposed to beguiled. But anyway. Yes. Yeah. And there's different ways to translate this, this verse here. Is there, I thought, so I would love to know, because I thought this was a word that was pretty much meant deception, but I would love to know if, if you, uh, you certainly would know better than I. Um. Yeah, I think it can mean, I, I guess what I meant was, I, I think it can mean deception. I think it can mean, um, you know, beguile, beguile in the sense that that he's kind of tricking her. I think there's probably I don't know. There's lots of ways to translate this verb yeah. here, but the, tr- tricking or something along those lines, not just persuasion. Right? Yeah, the, the, yeah, exactly. Tricking. I think it means like to trick. Actually, is probably yeah. And it has a has a prefix. So in Greek, whenever you put a, a little prefix like ek in front mm-hmm. of the the main verb, it's in the aorist too. So it just shows that it happened once. Right. It's over. Maybe that would also subtly suggest that original sin isn't a, a problem for Adam and Eve's descendants, right? Because if That's it's in the point. Earth, it's, yeah, it's right? it's done. It's, it's it's done. It just in the happened past, once. It's over. Yeah. There are there are consequences because of Adam and Eve's transgression, right? Right. But um, it doesn't mean we can't make good choices. That's how a lot of people interpret the fall. Right. Yeah, no, there, there are consequences that we wanted, but uh, yeah, as difficult we, yeah. as they are. It's part of the plan, isn't it, to, yeah. that would die and, and get bodies, and bodies would be very uh, always healthy or, or could have problems, right? Yeah. Anyway, I, I kind of sidetracked us there, but uh, you were talking about the larger principle of living in a fallen world. So as the serpent yeah. beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so sorry, yeah. keep going. Yes, and then it says here, and if he that, that cometh preaches another Jesus, right, whom we have not preached, or if we receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might bear with him. So I think these verses just show that in a fallen world, there are lots of uh, false messengers, lots of problems, lots of uh False, uh, deceptive, antichrist. The word antichrist just means someone who's a substitute sometimes for somebody else. And so we want to be careful here. But Paul is going to say, I'm not, even though I'm not Peter, who's in charge of the apostles, I'm still not behind them, not a whip behind them in verse five. So we can we can trust that everything Paul is teaching is in accordance with Peter, James and John, who are the pillars that that Paul mentions, uh, he received the right hand of fellowship in Galatians chapter two. Uh, and yeah. so maybe I can just summarize. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. We can, we also see that there's, there seems to be an apostasy about who has authority also in this verse. Go ahead. No, no. You can can keep going on that. I'm going to summarize like verses one through seven before we move on. So I thought you were moving on. Sorry. And, uh, and, in uh, verse 6 in chapter 11, he says, But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been uh, thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. So, again, maybe writing um, writing, and even maybe 
speaking, he might have even offended someone, but he does he does know uh, and he is preaching what needs to be taught, and we can trust him. He's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, and have I committed an offense in abasing myself that you might be exalted? Because I have preached the gospel of God freely. I think maybe freely, just if I look at the Greek here, I think it means just something like, uh, you know, plainly, we might say. He says, I, he asked, uh, I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. So anyway, he he's just mentioning that maybe there's a few people who aren't real happy with his service. And we do see that maybe some people aren't accepting his authority, but maybe there's this underlying problem that there's an apostasy that's happening. Uh, and then he does talk about there are, in verse 13, there are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves in the apostles of Christ. And then he teaches the principle that Satan can transform himself into an angel of light sometimes, so we have to be really careful. And, and so, anyway, he just says, I am a fool, but still receive me. I, I don't know everything but you can't trust me. I'm not from Satan. And then he just talks, he does, it almost sounds um, maybe bold, uh, very bold here. Verse 21, I am bold. Are they Hebrews? Verse 22, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? And then he says, I speak as a fool. Joseph Smith adds, so am I. Right. And then he talks about all the different trials he's gone through. So I think in a lot of ways we can trust him. He even got down, he had to be uh, sent down through a window in a basket yeah. down through the wall at the very end, verse 33. So yeah, I mean, we can trust Paul, but there, there are some apostasy um, problems in, in Corinth and, and Paul isn't Peter and, but he's still not a whip behind him is what he's saying. Yeah, that's good. Very good. So maybe, maybe I'll just try and summarize for our audience a little bit where I think he's saying, look, I know I don't always say things and come across perfectly. And maybe in my letters, my recent letters to you, it's even been a little overbearing or it's felt overbearing to you. But my whole purpose was to get you to come to God and not serve anything else. But I'm afraid that that just uh, because of the fall and fallen beings, you are being deceived and you are following someone other than Christ because you're following people who aren't his true ministers. And then he goes on and tells him how he is a true minister in all these different ways. And, and, uh, and that he again, comes back to, I know as a true minister, I may not have done this perfectly, but trust me, look at all I've suffered for you. So please believe me when I say that these other guys are false ministers and you need to follow truly Christ single heartedly, not Christ in the world and Christ and other teachings and so on and so on. And I'll, I'll tell you, I can picture all of our prophets and apostles right now saying this, right? Just please trust us. It seems like you're believing us and the world and you're getting this weird mixture of the world's ideas and our ideas all mixed up in your heads. Well, not our ideas, but God's ideas given to you through us. Uh, and so please just leave that worldly stuff behind and listen to us. We are God's true ministers. And I would suggest that the temple teaches us that same thing. It does. Very good. I like your summary. And, and you know, the Corinthians struggled and it was a it was a hard area to be righteous, uh, a righteous disciple. And it seems like a lot of people do follow Paul. This becomes a, a center of the, the early church, it seems, from some of the early Christian traditions. So I think we can be righteous as, as long as we're following the, the servants, the apostles today. President Nelson and those who work with him are 12 apostles. That's our key, isn't it? Yeah. If I would say, if you find yourself disagreeing with them, you need to stop and ask yourself, how am I being influenced too much by the world? That's, that's the question you need to ask yourself. And uh, at BYU-Idaho this, uh, this past week, Elder uh, Rasband came and, he taught us this principle as we as we follow President Nelson, as as we do the things that, that the prophets President Nelson has told us to do, we're on we're, we'll be safe, we'll be fine, even if we're in a fallen, wicked world. That's well said. Well, good. Well, we've got two chapters left in a little bit of time. What should we cover in these last two chapters? Oh, this is good. Well, let's see. In this part. Paul mentions a little bit about a 
a third heaven, which is interesting. Yeah. That's in chapter 12, verse, verse 2. I know you'd be better on this than I am. Um, I know in the Hebrew world, I think they have seven different kind of places that, at least in some traditions, that people go after this life. Is that right? And Well, it's hard to tell when all these different beliefs come up and who all accepted all of those beliefs. But there, there's certainly a strain of that. But I think for the most part, they didn't know much about what happened in the afterlife. That's why you get all these different things, people coming up with stuff. When there's when you don't know much, you make up stuff. And we do that as well, actually. And yeah. I think uh, President Oaks has warned us about that. Yeah, that's true. Um, a lot of times people debate about what maybe the thorn in the flesh might be. Yeah. In um, chapter 12, verse 7. But apparently... It says Satan gets to buffet him a little bit, and it, maybe it says, "Lest I should be exalted above measure." I think maybe that just means, "Lest I should be prideful." It keeps him humble to have a thorn in his side, maybe some issue. He doesn't tell us exactly what it is. Some people have theorized maybe he's losing his eyesight. Maybe uh, I know that he struggles sometimes with. It seems that um, in chapter Acts chapter fifteen he gets. Um, quite upset with Barnabas. There's a stasis, which the Greek is maybe is like a fist fight or something. So I know there's different theories, but I think anytime we have any physical or or spiritual or whatever problems, I think some of that can actually be a strength to us as it says in Ether 12, that it can help us to be humble and come to Christ and he can make our weaknesses strong. We see that Paul does that a lot. He actually, verse eight, he actually goes to the Lord three times at this thing would depart. And then he says um, that his, uh, it says, my grace is sufficient for thee. So we might say his gifts or favors, his kindness, you know, that those are reciprocal, will bless Paul. It says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. So I think yeah. as we acknowledge our weaknesses, we can become strong. I think this is my favorite part of this chapter, at least. But Yeah, this notion that when we recognize our weaknesses and come to God, his strength makes our weakness become perfect, actually. Yeah. So it's better than it would have been if it had been a strength. So I've often said it this way. If you're going to talk about uh, maybe people who can speak in church, uh, and if someone has a natural gift and they don't turn to God, and someone is uh, actually really struggles with speaking, but they do turn to God, they will be stronger and accomplish more than the person who had a natural gift but didn't turn to God. Um because as we turn to God, he makes everything become better than any of us are capable of on our own. And so I uh, think, uh, thank God that we have weaknesses and can recognize them, not to beat ourselves up, not to feel terrible, but to realize, okay, I need to turn to God in that. And the fact of the matter is that often we don't recognize that he's magnified us and we've exceeded ourselves, right? We, we feel like we did something terrible. We don't realize that his spirit made up the difference. And so amazing things are happening of it. And we beat ourselves up and that's just uh, silly. We just need to have faith and trust that God's doing what he said he would do. Yeah. A lot of it, I guess, is again, going back to covenants, isn't it? Yeah. Trusting God, being loyal within the covenant, repenting when we're a little bit out of line. Yeah, and just giving whatever he asks us to give, even if we feel like we don't have much to give. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that is part of the covenant, isn't it? Giving giving whatever we can. Yeah. Uh, also in this chapter, we learn that Paul is going to, he's he's uh, coming, it says, Behold, the third time I'm coming, ready to come to you. I don't want to be burdensome. And then it, he says that again in chapter 13. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Then he teaches us the principle in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall their word be established. So in some ways, these epistles are also witnesses. The first Corinthians, second Corinthians. um, There's some theories about there's a third one we don't have. Yeah. Well, we know he he wrote some letter before first Corinthians, don't we? So it mentions a letter. Yeah. And it almost seems like he's even saying me coming to you three times is three witnesses. So I think I think the way we usually take this is absolutely true that we should have because he's drawing on an Old Testament law which is yeah. that you can't convict someone without two or three witnesses and so any it, truth is established by two or three witnesses but he seems to be hinting here that in some ways his repeatedly coming to them and teaching the same things is another way of of uh, establishing two or three witnesses and, and then we learn in uh, chapter 12 verse 21 part of the reason he's come a few times he's trying to humble these guys because some of them are are struggling with the law of chastity as you might imagine in in corinth 
Yeah. He does talk about how Jesus can help the, the people who are weak in chapter 13. That it says, for though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God, verse 4. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. So anyway, we could also sometimes translate some of these prepositions in as with, but I think the in makes the idea that it's we're in this covenant. But he says, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the, and then the Greek word here is pistis in uh, chapter 13, verse 5. And I translate sometimes pistis as the loyalty or the covenant. Yeah. Uh, a lot of our... our the kind um, of covenant faithful loyalty, right? Yeah, the covenant faithful loyalty that a lot of people would say the rule of faith in other Christian theologies, right? But Yeah. And that's how we prove ourselves. Hopefully we're with Jesus. If we're not, we're reprobates, he says in verse 5. And but he and then he just wants he sometimes they use the first person plural like we the singular I right but he just wants to know he's not a bad guy he's a he's a true apostle like you were saying Carrie the the prophet seers and revelators are awesome guys Some, the world might say they're bad guys but they're really awesome guys and if we'll follow them we'll be safe um, we'll be okay we can stay loyal in that covenant because they represent Jesus and his spokespeople. Uh, that's good. You know, as, as I think about it, and I hadn't thought of this beforehand, this wasn't a pre-prepared thing, but as I um, just, as we're kind of summing up the second half of second Corinthians, and we've been going through so many things, uh, there are a number of themes, you know, especially one of them that, that uh, isn't what I was just thinking of, but one of them is being faithful to God or having this, this loyalty within the covenant. But I would say the two main themes uh, in order to help people really remember this, we're going to have to help uh, my audience. Many of them won't have experienced uh, some of the higher forms of culture. And so we'll have to uh, help them uh, come to under, uh, appreciate country and music. Um, so uh, uh, there's a, a song by Tim McGraw, and the title is Always Be Humble and Kind. And I think that is, in some ways, the theme that we've got here, right? Uh, be humble and and use that humility to come to God and to help others. And so be kind and help others uh, thinking of them more than of yourself and thinking of God more than of yourself. So always be humble and kind uh, is what Paul is trying to tell us, I think. And there's also other good voices like Tim McGraw out there. That's right. Uh, sometimes we can see the light of Christ all over the place, can't we? That's exactly right. So, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Good. Well, uh, what else would you say? Anything to wrap up this uh, the second uh, epistle to the Corinthians? Well, let's see. At the very end, he just says farewell, and they typically have this idea of a holy kiss. I've tried to study this metaphor. I I know in in Southern European cultures and in Latin America, they they'll kiss each other. Yeah. On the cheek. Like I remember, I lived in Spain for a little bit, and. This uh, older man would give me a kiss on both cheeks. Yeah. You know? I've never been good at that. I have all sorts of European uh, and Middle Eastern friends that do that. And I'm never quite, yeah. I'm not good at responding. But I do remember that was a, a famous verse when I was in seminary. Uh, that got passed around seminary a lot. Come or greet one another with a holy kiss. People always quoted that in seminary. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, I guess you have to tell them that it's holy kiss, right? Yeah, right. that's exactly right. Yeah. That's fun. Well, it's a pleasure to be on your show and be with you for, and your your listeners, Terry. Well, thank so. you. I, Brent, you are humble and kind, um, and you get the feeling that even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it with Paul when he goes on with a long list of all the stuff he's done for people, I think he really is humble and kind, and he's yeah. he's trying to get us to be that way, to be faithful to God, to quit thinking of ourselves, and to always be humble and kind. So thank and you. We're working on that, aren't we? Yeah, we're, we're all yeah. works in progress. And so to not, yeah. not be too hard on ourselves is another thing that yeah. I think he's trying to tell us. Trust in that grace, that enabling yeah. grace, which is that uh, uh, powerful love and, and mercy and gifts and change and magnification that comes because we're in a covenant relationship with God. Right. Uh, we really need to believe in Christ and trust in that uh, and follow the prophets. That's another one of his themes here. Follow the prophets. Uh, and if we do that, wow, the things that can happen for us. Yeah. Let's not beat ourselves up, you know, and, and if we feel like we're beating ourselves up, we can just remember we're weak and ask God for help. Try to yeah. serve others, look outside, like you're saying. Yeah. 
And remember, he'll be kind as well, right? Yeah, isn't that good? Yeah, yeah it is loving, good. Merciful, uh, God the Father. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I noticed that I don't know a few years ago that we have all these articles and nobody bothers to ever translate them in the New Testament. And I, I think if we don't recognize all these gifts come from God the Father, I think it makes it harder for us to love God the Father mm. and appreciate Him. As, and we, you know, we know Joseph Smith taught really clearly that that the Father and the Son are separate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we're we're blessed to have that knowledge. So yeah, it's, it's very good. very helpful in our discipleship. Well, thank you, Brent, and uh, I hope our audience will uh, be blessed by this, and that if they've been blessed, they'll share it with others. People keep teaching me. I'm not very good with this uh, online kind of stuff, but they're telling me if I can get people to do likes uh, on on this, on whatever medium they're using, and if they share it, that more people, it, the algorithms work in a way that it helps more people uh, become aware of it and so on. And uh, I've seen that even in, in one particular episode where somehow it just caught people's attention. And uh, we ended up with lots of people of other faiths who were liking it and commenting on it and, and getting involved in it just because people did the likes and the shares and it caught the algorithms. And I think it did some missionary work. So I hope that the people will do that as well. I don't I don't know much about it or how to do it, but uh, just those simple things, I guess, will make a difference. So if you'll do that and uh, if you'll, above all, uh, be faithful to God and go be humble and kind, then we'll all be happy. So thank you, Brent. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. Have a wonderful afternoon. You too. <laughs>